0: Welcome back into Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night. I'm recording this uh, following recording a podcast Monday morning, uh, which now is out of date uh, given the news that we received today at about 1 o'clock p.m. that the Denver Nuggets are no longer going to have Tim Connolly. As their president of basketball operations, he is now officially moving into the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. He will serve the same role. He will have the same responsibilities. And it is a lateral move for him. The only difference is that he's being given a massive raise. And that raise, as reported by a number of folks, uh, Sham Sharania, John Krasinski over at The Athletic, Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, it's a five-year deal worth $40 million, and uh, and plus, there there might be something extra on top of that, on top of a stake of ownership equity, which remains unknown in terms of what the percentage is, what that looks like, Uh. I'm going to speculate a little bit about that number, but we're going to talk about the Tim Connolly news here real quick. I want to share my thoughts. I wanted to make sure to react to this, uh, given that this morning's podcast is out of date. But then talk about the ramifications and, and what this means for the Nuggets organization, where it affects the Nuggets the most. Because I think that a lot of people assume that I reacted a little bit too strongly on the Twitter and I don't think I did personally. I really don't. I think that the Nuggets are in a really shaky place. And, and I, if anybody wants to learn more about why, I thought that Kevin O'Connor at The Ringer wrote a really, really good article as to why. You guys should check it out. Uh, in there, he talks about Nikola Jokic potentially not signing his Supermax this offseason or at least making sure that the nuggets are on the right direction again uh, before he signs that supermax and and frankly I don't I don't blame him for that idea. I do not think that that's going to happen because I don't think that Nikola Jokic just doesn't really leverage franchises in the way that most big superstars might. But I I just don't think that that is what's in the cards for Denver. I think he'll probably Signed the Supermax and so this isn't a really big deal, but uh, let's talk about the Tim Connolly news right now. Let's let's circle back to where this is uh, and from what I said earlier Monday today. Um, I thought that this was going to happen. I didn't realize that it would happen this soon or else I probably would have waited until the afternoon to record. Uh, but the Wolves, as I said, they're giving him a five-year, $40 million contract at the minimum. Uh, it has potential to go up. And there is a stake of ownership equity there. Now, ownership equity, it is, it's is—it's like a share of a company, basically. And, and you can always cash out. You can always sell your share. Um, but if you know anything about sports franchises, it's that they continue to rise in valuation. And getting out of that is like it's, – it's something that doesn't necessarily happen that quickly. So, I assume – that Tim Connolly is going to hold on to whatever it is for a long time, but I don't know what the percentage is. He's a minority owner, which means he's he owns less than 50% of the ownership. And I know that Mark Lore, Alex Rodriguez, they're going to eventually buy up over 60%. So technically, Tim Connolly could be getting as much as 39% of the. Of the uh, ownership stake going forward, I don't think that that's what happens. I think he's—it's a very small percentage—is what we're talking about here. But it is a unique way to compensate that's a little bit different than just a straight-up contract. Uh, so hypothetically, the Wolves are valued at 1.55 billion, according to Forbes' most recent valuation numbers. And honestly, what that really means is that. However, that's evaluated, however, uh, whenever they sell, that's basically what they're actually worth. And so, if Connolly decides to sell his ownership stake, whatever that percentage is, there will be some uh, numeric evaluations. But the kind of the most accurate public thing, the most accurate public number is the Forbes valuation most of the time for these big numbers. So, 1.55 billion that's 1 billion and 550 million is what we're talking if if tim connolly gets 0.5% ownership stake which i think is around where it would be it would probably be about 0.5 that amounts to about 7.75 million in terms of actual valuation of what he owns and controls he doesn't make major decisions although he can vote on some things of course uh, there are some things with the business that obviously because the the company is a private company, like he's a part of the ownership, he has to be consulted on certain things. But ultimately, he's not the final decision maker because he's not the majority owner. But it, it would be different for Connolly. Like I'm not trying I'm not here trying to say that seven point seven five million is a small number because it's going to continue to grow. And by the time maybe he decides to sell that, that share in 20 years, maybe that share is worth $10 million at that point, or $12 million at that point, and it's just something that he can cash in, cash out, and get a nice little sum of money that he knows is in the back pocket. It's an interesting thing. Now, I think that there are a lot of people that thought that this was going to be more like a $50 million thing. It's. I don't think that that's what this is. I. I could be off base with this, uh, but fifty million in ownership stake for a T Wolves organization that's apparently worth one point five five billion according to Forbes. That would be about three point two percent of the ownership. I doubt that the Wolves are giving that much ownership away uh, to a front office executive. I just. I just don't think that that's where. Like that's something that they would do. Um. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And and maybe that's the, the big kicker in this, is that the stake in ownership is just such a massive number, or a massive number comparatively, that Connolly, even though the per year salary is like it's it's top five. It's not it's not the highest number, but it is it's pretty good. Uh it's not out of this world. So I think the ownership stake is probably where this was different. That was probably where this was lost in negotiations for Denver. Now, Denver could still have made up the difference in the contract. And my my question to everybody is, could the Nuggets have done anything about this? The short answer is yes. The longer answer is still yes but it would have probably required a significant commitment from ownership. They have never paid a whole bunch of money to coaches and front office personnel. They, that's, they are very famous for trying to get under certain thresholds and not and like cut costs on the margins in order to make a profit. And that works if your only goal is to turn a profit, but in order to be the best organization in the world that's just not how this goes. And I think the Nuggets are very, and the ownership is very comfortable with that. They, they don't want to be the best organization in the world. That's definitely not their goal, because if, if that was their goal, then they'd be doing a pretty bad job at it right now. Because here's the thing. As I said, $8 million in annual salary, it isn't the most amount of money that lead decision makers get. I know for a fact that Sam Presti, Masai Ujiri, and Bob Myers are all making more money than $8 million. Now, those are entrenched executives. Sam Presti's been around since the Thunder, basically, were a thing. Masai Ujiri, obviously, he won Executive of the Year for Denver, and then he went to Toronto. I think he won Executive of the Year again, on top of winning a title and bringing a title to Canada. And then he... He leveraged that into a two-year, $32 million extension, uh, which we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of that. I think, I think the end of his contract is pretty close, if not this offseason, the next offseason. I think it's next offseason. Um, Bob Byers, obviously, he's about to go to his sixth NBA Finals as the Golden State GM in the last eight years, so he should be making a whole bunch of freaking money. And then John Horst, Dero More, both of those guys are making significant money too. I'm not sure if it's over eight million, but Denver—it wasn't like they were. It was—it wasn't like this was a massive overpay to to pay Tim Connolly eight million dollars. It was a lot of money. It was more than they've ever paid for a coach before or a front office executive before, and that's definitely a big leap for them. But my guess is that had Denver come close to matching that number, even without the stake in ownership, I, I suspect that Connolly probably would have stayed put. He wanted reasons to stay. I, that's been pretty well documented in Mike's article, Mike Singer, in John Krasinski's article for The Athletic, uh, and, and basically everybody talking about this thing publicly. He wanted to stay. Did not want to go. But the money was so significantly different that he had to take it. It was just completely clear from a decision-making standpoint. And the, the word was obviously that he would be insane not to. So Denver made an offer that included a raise. It did not come close to what the Wolves offered. And that was a big deal in all of this. But I also think, and and I've, I've been on this, and I know this hasn't been like – Publicly discussed, but I know that the practice facility is really nagging Connolly. He's wanted that for a long time. He's wanted that since 2017. It was one of the big stipulations in his contract talks for 2019. He wanted a practice facility in Denver. And the Nuggets are one of two teams in the NBA, the Houston Rockets being the other one, that do not have a dedicated practice facility. And that really nagged at him because it's just not doing everything in their power in the nuggets power to gain their competitive advantage. And I do think that those things add up. Like you could you could probably skimp by on one thing or another. And I'm I'm not here to tell the nuggets to throw money blindly at a wall because that would be bad business and I'm I'm not here to tell the billionaires how to spend their money, but they've got to spend some. And The Nuggets ownership is basically refused to pay Tim Connolly what an average executive makes. That's what they wanted wanted him to make was, was for what an average executive. Connolly wanted to be paid like an above average executive. The Wolves are paying him like a top five executive. And so he had to take that for obvious reasons. And it's too bad because I know that Tim wanted to see this through. I know that he, as much as anybody, should have an opportunity to see if this team can win a title. He is as much a part of Denver's culture as anyone not named Nikola Jokic. He's made some mistakes along the way. I'm not here to completely wash him of his sins because he has neglected the wing position. He's made some drafting mistakes that were pretty clear at the time, and I think that There have been some things on the margins that he's really missed on. But if you start looking for the individual trees, you miss the freaking forest. Like He has built a title contender. And when that contender is healthy, they're as dangerous as any team. So I think that it's very important that every single non-Nuggets fan that I saw, everybody that was a Sixers fan, a Rockets fan, a, a Trailblazers fan, Wolves fans were elated, obviously, but every other non-partisan fan of the NBA on the timeline today said, oh, that's bad for Denver. If every single person says it, I just tend to think that they've probably got a point that despite the fact that the Nuggets might be prepared to shoulder the responsibilities in Tim Connolly's absence, they might be fine and I'll talk about that in the next segment, but you don't give them that chance. That's not what you're supposed to do. A championship organization stays together and they do everything that they can to make sure that they win. And If that means paying somebody when your only competition is yourself and your checkbook, then you're making a mistake to not pay him his money. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss who this most affects, what this most affects in the Denver Nuggets organization now that Tim Connolly is leaving. We will be right back. pickaxe and ryan blackburn thank you so much for tuning in uh if you listen to earlier uh the podcast that i did earlier in the day i did a lot of stuff talking about the draft and and some of the conversations that i had with, over the weekend on draft prospects and things like that i i tried to manifest that into a podcast that would talk about who nuggets fans wanted to discuss in the nba draft so make sure to listen to the previous podcast as well i don't want that to just go to complete waste here uh, as we as we kind of get a very weird recording schedule because of this news drop. But I wanted to talk about the departure and where it affects the Nuggets organization the most. And I think there are three categories that really stand out as to what is most affected, not necessarily positively or negatively or anything. I mean, it's probably mostly going to be negative, but some of it, it could potentially be a positive depending on who you ask. Um, I think decision-making, relationships, and comfort level are the most important things that are affected in the Nuggets organization right now based off of this this decision. First of all, the decision making. Tim Connell, he's made the major personnel decisions for a long time. He's been the GM from 2013 to 2017. He moved to president of basketball operations at that point. Actually, that was the time where Calvin Booth was brought on as the assistant GM, and Archeras Karnasovis was elevated to general manager where Tim Connolly was. Tim then elevated to uh, the Pobo position in 2017, and he, that's when he started making the major personnel decisions. Up to that point, he had been good on the minor stuff, but the major stuff, there, there was still some pullback. Uh, But now he was making big decisions and has been making the big decisions for the Nuggets organization for the last five years or so. He and Arturis worked together until 2020, basically from 2013 to 2020 for seven years. Calvin and Tim worked together since 2017. uh, Calvin was the assistant GM. Then Calvin was promoted to GM after Arturis left. And so Calvin's been the general manager for the last 2 years and there are some differences there are some similarities between those guys uh, obviously tim not a former player calvin a former player tim has definitely more of a like they're both pretty laid back but i think when you talk to people within the organization and, and kind of around the organization they see tim as more of the the patient type the more willing to let things develop Calvin is the more, uh, a bit more aggressive type, the guy who's willing to take some chances on some guys. And I want to make sure to stress this point right now. I am not trying to bemoan Calvin Booth as a lead decision maker. He could very much, he could very well be very good. And maybe he's even better than Tim Connolly. Maybe he is. We don't know. Like he could be better. He could also be worse. And I think it's much more likely that Calvin Booth is worse. And because of that possibility, it's not necessarily something that the Nuggets in this very precipitous time for them should be opening themselves up to because there was stability there before. You don't want to rock the boat for the sake of rocking the boat when you don't have to. And and the ownership kind of chose to rock the boat here. So I do believe in Calvin Booth as a decision-maker. I think he, he's obviously a smart basketball mind who has been in and around the game for his entire life, played in the NBA for 10 years, has been with the organization for the last five. Is The previous five, he was also working some front office stuff. So he's been in and around the game. And there's a very strong possibility that he will do great things. My, my, Opinions on and comments on ownership do not reflect on Calvin. Now, will Calvin be willing to be aggressive enough in his first season of making the most important moves between now and the 2023 playoffs? I'd say possibility. It's definitely a fair question to ask that if you're the Nuggets, are you like in this most important offseason, are you willing to pull the trigger on a massive trade, or an important draft pick, or break the bank for a free agent that you're going to have to take a chance on and tell that to ownership, and ownership might not agree with you, are you willing to be the leader and the lead decision maker and hold that position with control? I don't know. I can't speak for Calvin and, and Calvin will probably speak again at, like, sometime here soon. He'll definitely have an opportunity to speak at the draft, assuming that the nuggets keep him as the lead decision maker. I, I don't think that they, they are going to go a different direction at this point now, but I do think that's there's at least questions on, on what the decision making is going to look like. He could be better. Maybe he's more wing dependent. Maybe he wants to get more wings into the building. Uh, maybe it could be worse. I've also heard a variety of opinions on current Nuggets players that I'm not necessarily in agreement with on what Calvin thinks. So I don't know how he's going to handle it. I think he has a very interesting possibility for this offseason that I would be very curious to see what happens when July 1st hits. The second thing, the beyond the decision-making, the next thing is relationships. Uh, Tim is a relationships guy. Uh, anybody that knows the Nuggets, knows their front office, that has been around the team, knows that Tim is very personable. He's very well-liked. He's one of the most well-liked executives around the NBA. And he's great to work with. He's great to work for. And he's great for being, like, if you are on his team, Tim will fight for you. He will fight on behalf of you. It, it doesn't necessarily mean from just a player's perspective. He also fights for uh, his his own guys and making sure that they get properly compensated and promoted where necessary. Things like that. I think those relationships, and some people will scoff at this, but I think they helped Denver stay ultimately patient when, when trades for veterans came across the docket when they could have traded for Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler or Kevin Love for any of these trades prior to. They ultimately held off, and the Kevin Love one is a little bit flimsy. That one, I think, it wasn't his choice. and But you, you still think like, hey, Kevin Love might have been pretty helpful in a Denver Nuggets offense. Would the defense have been bad probably, but uh, it would still be interesting. It'd still be fascinating to think about. But I do think that for the most part, the staying patient on trades has helped Denver. Think about the James Harden deal. Think about what the Nuggets would be dealing with right now if they had traded Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, and Will Barton, along with three first round picks for James Harden back at the 2020-2021 season. Where would they be? Well, it's hard to tell. Like, obviously, the Murray injury kind of throws a weird wrench into those plans. But they'd probably be about the same place where the Philadelphia 76ers are right now. Probably. Like, they'd have slightly more talent because Murray's a better player than Tyrese Maxey. But I still think that Denver would be in a really tough place had they kind of sold early and been super aggressive. And Tim has been a guy that's willing to be patient. So that has helped Denver, and it has hurt Denver. They've probably held on to certain guys a little bit too long. Yusuf Nurkic. They probably should have traded Nurkic uh, after his sophomore season. Uh, If they believed in Nikola Jokic, which they should have after his rookie year, if they believed in Jokic, they probably should have traded Nurkic. They probably should have traded Kenneth Farid earlier. uh, Like, During the offseason when they signed Paul Millsap, having him overlap was a really bad thing for for Denver. It didn't make any sense. Uh, The Malik Beasley deal uh, combined with Wancher Hernan gomez and Jared Vanderbilt, that burned Denver. And now Will Barton. I think that one definitely a little bit questionable now. So, will Calvin have the same ties to keeping this roster mostly together as Tim? Will he be less patient and more willing to kind of wheel and deal depending on what the offers are? I guess that that's probably what will happen. Like I I would, I would expect Denver to be pretty active. Uh, They might not make the biggest moves, but they'll probably be active and, and try to help on the margins as much as they possibly can. Um, but from a relationship standpoint, a Calvin's a nice guy with a friendly personality. I've talk, I've spoken to him before. Uh, he's, he's great. He's nice. It's not like he can't maintain those relationships. And it's not like he is completely bereft of personality or anything like that. But Tim was just really good at that. I wonder how it's going to change. I think it's fair to question how it's going to change. And the last thing is comfort level where the Nuggets currently are as a franchise. Because during the last 12 to 14 months or so, the Nuggets have been through hell. They've been through absolute organizational hell because they have just such a talented player, an incredibly talented player, Nikola Jokic. But they didn't know what the situations for Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were going to entail. They could have acquired help at the trade deadline. They decided to hold off. And I think part of the reason for that was because if those guys weren't back, then just having a whole bunch of assets being traded to try to win this year would have been kind of a waste. Denver needed more than just one other 3 and D guy on their roster in order to make a significant impact. They needed several. They needed probably a more stable solution at the back of five. Uh, They're going to need to improve in several categories. And navigating that process was pretty difficult, especially during this injury time. But Tim Connolly did it expertly well. Michael Malone, I think, handled it pretty well. Not as well as Tim, but pretty well. Nicole Jokic. He's comfortable in Denver as long as they're competitive, and and there's no reason to believe that they won't be competitive when their guys get healthy. So, I think uh, he was he was definitely comfortable. At least it was before Tim took this job. That's really the the kicker here, because if any if there was any inkling in Nikola Jokic that this might not be a good idea, that he would prefer to have Tim Connolly. And if that really changed his mind on if if, was he consulted on the decision, like, how does he feel now? Like, does this change his commitment level to the Nuggets organization for the Supermax? Uh, If any of those things are kind of in the negative, then that's not great. That's not great. You want to keep Nikola Jokic happy, as happy as he possibly can be. Because the thing that keeps Nikola going is his entertainment, not entertainment, but his enjoyment level in basketball. He's not doing this like just primarily for the love of the game. He's also trying to have fun. So you got to make it fun. You got to make the environment good. Tim really helped that. Will Calvin continue to do so? Maybe. Probably, honestly. like I, I think Calvin can do a good job, but it's just the questions. And those questions are potentially really, really difficult. If Denver especially gets to a place where they are in a bad situation and everybody starts to look around, everybody starts to think, okay, man, what is going to happen if the Nuggets have a season or a first half season similar to the Boston Celtics this past year? How much pressure is Michael Malone under that situation? Maybe he's getting fired he's probably under a whole bunch of pressure and it would be very interesting like I, I think that Michael Malone like his seat gets hot because if they don't succeed in his first year then they're going to probably come up with reasons for why they did it and so that automatically you, you look to the coach in most of those situations unless the coach is firmly entrenched michael Malone should be firmly entrenched he might not be though so what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if uh, Denver hits a snag during the middle of the season? How do they stabilize? How do those, how does the organization handle when things look bleak? Before, Tim Connolly was that guy that really drove the bus going forward in a positive way. Now is that Calvin Booth? Does Michael Malone take more of a, a lead in that category? Is it up to Nikola Jokic to really be the leader in the clubhouse for kind of driving Denver's entire emotional psyche? Is, is that Jamal Murray when he's coming off of an ACL tear? I, I don't know. But it doesn't feel great. Uh, it's at least up to a questionable point. And so Calvin Booth is probably going to have to step up in that regard. But who knows if he has the, the cadre within the Nuggets org to be that guy, to be trusted to be that guy. He probably does. He's been around for five years, so I'm I'm not trying to stir up controversy here, but these are important questions. I think that the Nuggets are about to go through a very uncomfortable growth period on the court. With Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr., they're all going to be trying to learn to coexist again. The goal is clearly a championship. That is clearly Nikola Jokic's goal. Jamal Murray, his goal is to get back and healthy on the court, but he wants to win too. Michael Porter, he wants to win too, but his way of winning might be a little bit different and and look a little bit different than what Nikola Jokic's way of winning looks like. And all of them are going to have to learn how to coexist. And having one less person that's extremely familiar with all of them and that each of them trusts that guy. It's going to be a true test for who steps up in Denver, and and when Denver finds that uh, that dark place, which every team kind of goes through, every team kind of goes through the trials and tribulations, and some of them are stronger than others. So Denver's got to be able to handle that. The Nuggets are the Celtics. They passed that test this year with flying colors. They went through a really bad beginning. Danny Ainge went to Utah. Brad Stevens brought in Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, uh, some guys that didn't necessarily work, and it wasn't looking good. And then they came back into form, and starting in like January, and then the trade deadline hit and they acquired Derek White, they moved Marcus Smart to point guard, and they started playing really, really well. And that might be what Denver looks like, honestly. They might try something. In the offseason, they might try to shake things up. And then if it doesn't work, then maybe they have to be patient and try something else. But the Nuggets are going to have to stay together. They're going to have to figure that out. And in order to stay together, you need strong leadership. Calvin Booth is going to have his hands full. He's going to be in a situation where the pressure is very much on him. And the pressure will be very much on Michael Malone during these off seasons during this off season specifically, and I would be very worried about organizational fracture because it just it's one more step towards just being in a situation where you're in a really bad place, and people are questioning who to trust. People are questioning uh, the commitment to winning within the organization. And if it doesn't happen, then the Nuggets are going to be in a world of trouble. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. I tweeted out today that I would stay away from Nuggets championship futures. The reason being is because of that stability, that organizational stability. Is nothing to do with the Nuggets talent level. They clearly have the talent. I believe in their talent. But if they want to be the best, they're gonna have to pay for it. And until they learn that, I just don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're ever going to get over the top. They have not been to a conference finals, well, other than the 2020. They've not been to an NBA finals in their history, let alone won a championship. It takes a lot and it takes a strong organization from top to bottom. Not just the most talented players because if it was just about the talents then the Brooklyn Nets would have won last year. It takes a lot more and the Nuggets, they don't have those extra things right now. They're going to have to win on talent alone. Maybe some coaching. But they'll need to get better and here's hoping that the organization comes around to that eventually because they're one of the final two teams to not have a practice facility. Their G League team is in Michigan. Uh, They cheap out on salaries, and this is the first time in all likelihood that they will pay the tax since 2008. Uh, I feel pretty strongly that things are probably going to get pretty tough. And it's going to take real character and real talent in order to pull through that in all all likelihood. We will see. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Mile High Sports. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Apologies for the downer episode. Definitely not my intention, but I, I never want to sugarcoat things, and I never want to be dishonest on this. Like I want to be able to share my honest thoughts. That's one of the great things about hosting this show like you're not going to get anything that's completely wild like it might be wild out of me but it's definitely not untruthful at least that's my goal thank you so much everybody for tuning in i'll probably be back on wednesday with some trade discussion and some free agency discussion and we'll probably talk about who some calvin booth guys are and and what that might look like in this offseason. season thank you so much everybody for tuning in I appreciate all the and support as always talk to you guys very soon.